he really had to figure out, you know, how, how am I becoming sort of the submissive, like person in this relationship that's domineered? This is usually what I do with men. I steamroll them and love them and leave them. Welcome to Steam Scenes, the podcast about... Wait, hold on. Sure, sex is, well, sexy, but it's also sassy and it's silly and it's fun. Hi, I'm El Greco and I write steamy romance. On my podcast, Steam Scenes, I'm joined by my fellow romance authors for some explosive, <laughs> see what I did there? Conversations on writing all the naughty bits. Sit back, relax, and join us for some scintillating conversation on Steam Scenes. Today's guest is Rachel Eccles. Rachel grew up in the Midwest. After graduating from a law school, she followed her heart and moved to the East Coast. Trading Secrets is her first novel. She currently lives in Manhattan with her puppy, where she's working on book two of the Trading Secrets trilogy. Rachel, welcome to Steam Scenes. Thank you so much for having me. I love the name of your podcast. Well, thank you. I don't know if it's going to pass the Facebook test, but we're going to give it a try. <laughs> <laughs> we get a little too steamy for Facebook, us romance writers. Exactly. <laughs> so, hey, thank you for being here. I'm excited about your book. Oh, um, thank you. Yeah, I thought it was... I kind of like, I don't, I don't, I don't know how you feel about these writers. So I totally don't want you to take it the wrong way, you know, but I personally love them. You have set up a world of like decadence and wealth and, and kind of in this sort of like romantic veneer, I guess it really reminded me of like a really good Jackie Collins or Sydney Sheldon. Cause obviously we've got some intrigue going on and it's you know it's romantic it's romantic suspense and that's what when I was reading it I was like oh this is like when I was like you know 10 and reading Sydney Sheldon (laughs) 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 like that was sort of like my entree into the kind of like romance world was reading like romantic suspense and all those like Sydney Sheldon and Jackie Collins books and that were then turned into these really great terrible movies for TV right Um, so I like that was like so much fun to like read your book and sort of get thrown back to that time where I was just like, Oh my God, this is, this is how I fell in love with the genre. Right. I love that. I love those authors. So that's a a huge compliment. Thank you. Oh, you're welcome. Okay. So I'm going to ask, when did you want to become a writer? So I've always loved books, but I won't pretend that I, you know, went to college and decided I wanted to be a writer. Um, I, I, I've always been obsessed with books. Even as a child, I was reading, um, you know, 10 or 15 books a week in the summer of the little young adult novels. Uh, And about eight years ago, I left my job in corporate America for a while um, to start a yoga and nutrition business. And I started writing a lifestyle book. But every time I sat down to write this book about balancing, you know, optimal health and craziness of modern life, I was writing Celeste's story. And really? I, I yes, and I, and I kept uh, getting very frustrated with myself. I was like, you know, this is like my path forward. And after a few months, I finally gave in and realized that um, I needed to embrace the story that was coming through me. I don't know if you've read Liz Gilbert's uh, Big Magic, but that's always struck me. You know, the story sort of finds you, and I really had to just um, go with it and. 
it's been kind of a wild journey to, um, you know, to write this book. I've lived in two different cities. I've switched jobs. I've switched industries. And it, you know, it, it ebbed and flowed on how much I was working um, on the book. But it, the past year or so, I've really had a strong commitment to it. And it finally came to fruition. And I'm so happy that it's out in the world um, because Celeste's character is just someone that I fell in love with and I loved telling her story. I think it's really fascinating that you came to her through writing health and wellness. Yes. Shows how my mind works. <laughs> I'm kind of like, I'm like kind of trying to, I'm like, how does that happen? Like, I think I kind of have an idea, but I think that's really kind of amazing. Yeah. I, I spent um, the summer in the Hamptons because like I said, I had taken some time off work and I was living in Manhattan and um, I, you know, I was sitting like watching these beautiful sunsets and going to the beach and writing. And every time I sat down to write, I was just writing about this woman who was a real powerhouse, but, you know, had these vulnerabilities and I kept going back to it. And that's really how it all came to happen. That's really crazy. I mean, would you say she's modeled on somebody? Cause I know like when you're writing for the health and wellness space, um, you are writing oftentimes very personal, like I use this product, I say this, I'm also a licensed esthetician. So if anybody has skincare questions, please feel free to ask me. <laughs> <laughs> I too have, have had a very varied career. Um, so, you know, you, you end up writing about, um, you know, kind of like my acne or my, you know, or, oh, I had this line in my forehead and I used this product to get like, were, or a friend or, you know, were you... Was there somebody in mind when you were writing her or it just came out because of like where you were? So I love the question because I think it just made me realize where she came from. Uh, so I was actually writing a book geared toward the modern woman and how to balance work life and a commitment to optimal health. So looking back, it was probably um, coming out of the fact that she would have been my ideal client. So, you know, you do a lot of work when you're starting a business yeah. about who's your ideal client and someone with her schedule and her um, obligations uh, as a managing director at a hedge fund would be a primary candidate for, you know, a health and wellness um, consulting business. So I, re I love that, 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 uh, you know, it hadn't occurred to me, but I think that that's probably where it came from. I do too. You actually like took the ideal customer avatar concept and just like it's like on steroids though like you actually wrote her a whole book like right right that's super cool yeah I mean you know not to get too personal on you but were you kind of having like a like, like that's a big change from going from corporate law into the health and wellness space were you sort of feeling a little burnout there or were you like eh yeah. So, so interestingly, when I graduated college, um, I became a yoga teacher at a very young age. So I became a yoga teacher when I was 23. I'd been um, doing yoga and meditation for several years and really wanted to formalize it. And at that point in my life, I wanted to open a yoga studio. And, um, you know, that was my direction. And at the end of the day, I ended up um, going back to grad school because I thought that that was what I was supposed to do and went to law school. And, um, it, you know, once you graduate school, you get a job and then you get yeah. another job and you sort of get lost in 
the dreams that, you know, you'd had when you were younger, but it's always played such a big role in my life um, to have this commitment to wellness. And I, I, you know, as much as I've gone, gotten away from it a few times, I mean, law school, when you're working full time is certainly not the time to think that you're going to be meditating two hours a day. Yeah, or doing, <laughs> or doing, you know, six or seven days a week of yoga classes. However, it it does really demonstrate how much you have to make it a priority to take care of yourself. So I think that, um, it, you know, I've always kind of gone back to my roots of caring about optimal health. Mm. Um, it's driven a lot of my life decisions. Uh, you know, namely when I did leave the industry I was working in. Um, I just needed some time away. I'd been in it my entire career since I graduated law school. And it was time to explore some other sides of me. Um, A lot of people go to grad school later in life, or they figure out what they want to be when they grow up much sooner than I did. (laughs) But but I, I, you know, I think I wanted to, I still want to have like 10 more careers before I retire. So um, yeah, you know, I think that it's really fed into my ability to be able to juggle so many things, because if you're not taking care of yourself, you will burn out. And I was at that point and had to feed some other sides of myself that, um, you know, corporate America and I was, you know, working on politics and um, and before that doing some other types of law. And it you know, you really have to listen to yourself when those opportunities arise. And it did. And I did. And here we are. Yeah, I think there's a lot of, um, you know, and I say this as somebody who worked in New York in a very high pace industry for 25 odd years. And your, your wellness does you know, take a, take a back seat and it is the most damaging thing ever, you know, and you might be in your twenties and fine and it's okay to go at that pace. But once you hit 30 and then going into 40, it can really clobber you. Right. You know, so, um, so I think that it's awesome that you recognize that. And then I also think that it's beyond awesome that you were able to turn it into a character for a romance book. <laughs> wow. Oh my God. So I know. Cool. How random is that? Know, but so cool. So cool. Um, so, so for the romance genre, like what drew you, what drew you to it? Did you sort of like when you're, cause you're writing her from like this health and wellness perspective and she's your ideal avatar. And then all of a sudden it's like, well, wait a minute. No, this is going to be a romantic suspense story for her. Like, sure. You know, so I, have you always loved romance? Was this. So the person who deserves all the credit for turning me on to the romance genre is my grandma, Ellie. Uh, when I was a kid, she had bookshelves. I mean, four or five bookshelves full of the latest LeBrow Spencer books and Daniel Steele books, among others. And I devoured them. Um, Funny story, she she might deny this today. Um, But when I was about nine or 10, I, I, you know, I picked up one of the books and I really wanted to read it because I've always been drawn to love stories, even as a young kid. And she's like, okay, you can borrow one, but don't tell your parents because, you know, she knew there were steamy scenes that were inappropriate for someone my age. Um, So I was allowed to borrow them on the contingency that I didn't rat her out to my parents. Um, I probably at that age didn't know what half of the scenes were talking about, but I loved, loved, loved the genre. So I'd take a few books each time I visited her and switch them out for new ones. And, uh, you know, at that point I fell in love with the genre, even though, you know, 
they become predictable right after you read 100 or 200 <laughs> romance novels. But I still love the unfolding of the characters yeah. and the tension as they, you know, walk together and figure out how to make this re- relationship work. So that's really the pivotal um, relationship in the book. So I always loved it. Um, but, I, you know, I have to attribute all of that to my grandma. Well, I think there's something comforting in knowing that you're going to get the happily ever after you're going to, you know, like, and, and even though the, I guess the tropes are the same or similar um, and the journey can sort of feel similar. There's always like a new adventure because the characters are different. Right. Yep. Yep. And you know, what I've always viewed books as is escapism. It's just, Mm -hmm. and it's a gift that the writer gives to the reader to just take you out of your daily life um, for a few hours or a few days and give you something to look forward to at the end of the day, you know, if you can take a bubble bath and have a glass of champagne, or even if, you know, for those who have children after they put their kids to bed, a few minutes for themselves to, you know, really live in another world and another person's story. And that immersion and that escape is so important, especially in the world today to be able to get away and, you know, really just put everything on the back burner and immerse yourself in another story. Oh, I love that. I absolutely love that. So what, what for you, this is your first, this is your first book as well as your first romance book, correct? Yes. Was it hard for you writing the intimate scenes? Like what was it, your first one, you come up to it, was it tough? Was it difficult? Or were you just like, I got this? (laughs) Um, Well, it was easier to write than I imagined. I would say that, you know, to me, the most important thing about an intimate scene is to build the tension between the characters and to paint the picture for the reader of, you know, the sideways glances and the racing hearts and the sweaty palms, you know, (laughs) the heat in your cheeks, uh, the butterflies and to capture that and and to paint that picture, I've always, from day one with this book, I've always pictured it up on a movie screen. Um, oh. And when I'm writing the scene, I'm trying to capture each little, you know, glance or each little facial expression that the characters would make and, uh, you know, put that into words. And it is quite challenging. Um, and you know yourself as a writer, it's... Um, it, it's, it's challenging to convey all of that, but it's so rewarding when you feel like you've kind of captured it. Um, probably the, the biggest challenge that I had was deciding on what terminology to use um, to describe the scenes, because you want them to be steamy, you want them to be for an adult audience, um, and you don't want it to read like a textbook, um, which to me is a bit disruptive and feels a bit unnatural. Um, But I also didn't want to use words that adults don't naturally think or say during intimacy. So I I read, you know, as many books as I could in the genre and wrote down some of the ways that other authors were describing it, shopped it around, like focus grouped it with some of my friends and arrived somewhere in the middle, I hope, between Fifty Shades of Grey language and um, the Maestra trilogy from Ellis Hilton, um, her language. So I wanted it somewhere in between that wasn't PG, but wasn't, um, you know, an unnatural way of me talking or, um, you know, sort of X-rated. You know, it's really funny because um, a lot of the authors that I've interviewed, um, 
for the podcast so far, and the, and I include myself in in this sort of list. We we uh, we've talked about how we struggle with dirty talk between the characters, <laughs> and so <laughs> you know, and so they're like because it feels awkward and unnatural and, you know, and, and there are just words that are like, Oh, I don't know if I want to use that word. And, and I just think it's like, you bring up like a really great point because sometimes the terminology can be absolutely awkward and bizarre. (laughs) No, like I will, I will bring up the C word. I will not say the C word, but I will bring up the C word. And it's, it's actually very funny. I, used it in the book that I'm working on right now actually just this morning I wrote it <laughs> and, but it it actually did not come out of anything remotely sexy it was a conversation between the female character the, my heroine and this sort of like mom figure like her godmother and uh, i will disclaimer they're british so, right so she just was like oh you c word and, and i was like and i'm sitting there and i'm going that's totally normal out of her mouth but right it was an intimate scene i don't know that i could have used it right and i think culturally it's such a different word in the UK versus the US. And it's certainly a different word, even in the Midwest versus New York. Um, I hear it a lot more in New York. And I think there's just a lot more colorful language in New York, generally speaking. Um, (laughs) But in the Midwest, if someone said the C word, I mean, there would be like a gasp across the whole room, like an audible (laughs) gasp. Um, But it's, you know, sometimes it fits the situation. It's usually used in anger, I would say, in New York City. (laughs) because of all of our personalities um but you know my friends from the UK it just kind of flows out of their mouth like we would say any other curse word uh so I I think culturally it can be a very charged word or or you know in in a British um conversation you know used 10 times without any sort of cringing by anyone in the conversation yeah it's um Sarah Whitney who I interviewed uh, for for the podcast, we were talking about words that sort of make us go ew, and hers was panty, <laughs> and she was like, "I will not write, I will not write, you know, anything about panties." She's like, "I just, I hate the word, I hate the word," and her sister, who's her beta reader, hates the word, and so they're just like, "Ew, no, not that word," which I thought was really interesting. Like, that is okay. so funny. Um, I think I use it once or twice and I was annoyed that I had to use it too, but there's no other good word. I mean, you can say thong, um, but like underwear doesn't sound. Underwear is awful. Right. <laughs> right. That goes back to that sort of clinical, like textbook um, uh, language. But so that doesn't sound right either. But sometimes you just have to use the word, even though it makes you uncomfortable. But I, I also share that, that it's just, it's such an awkward word to write. It totally is. It does. It is. It is. I mean, she was saying that she'll use like a scrap of silk and I was like, oh, that's really interesting. And so I was actually trying it and I was like, no, I have to call these panties because I don't know what else I like, like scrap of fabric or like, it doesn't sound, that didn't sound right in the context of what I was writing. Right. So I was like, oh, I'm going to try this. And then, and then I was like, nope, gotta go to, gotta go with panties. Can't, right. <laughs> can't do it without them. <laughs> Right. And you can't say like undergarments, right? I mean, I guess if you're writing an historical, right, you you would go that route. Um, 
I suppose. But yeah, it's sort of like word choice is kind of is pretty fascinating, mm -hmm. you know, especially when you're talking about romance, because there are so many charged words in our genre. Absolutely. Absolutely. So when you sat down to write your very first one, like, what was it like for you? Were you just kind of like, like, it just was like writing another scene? Or did you actually have to kind of prepare yourself for it? So the first scene in the in Trading Secrets that has intimacy is is very early in the book. Uh, it's with Celeste and Antoine, who she meets in London, and it really um, it, it wasn't challenging to write because it was sort of this casual interaction. Um, you know, even though there was sexual tension between the two that had developed in the first few. Um, pages. There wasn't this history that had to really be fleshed out. Um, it was just sort of this animalistic, you know, very lustful encounter. And it, I, again, like what I always do is just picture it as a TV show or a movie, picture it visually of what's happening, and then try to write it. So I sat down, that one came pretty easily. When I get to her having intimate scenes with Theodore, that took a little more work to be able to convey her evolution from being a woman who, you know, takes home a server at a restaurant to being a woman who has developed this intimacy and, um, you know, very deep relationship and connection with a man who is, you know, uncharacteristically for her, a partner who you know, speaks his mind and takes control and all the things that she'd always done. Um, right. He sort of took that role. I, I meant to ask you and got carried away on the word thing. Who's your dream cast? Since you say you have a movie in mind, I'm very curious <laughs> who, you, who your dream cast is for the movie. So I was doing a series of wine tastings with readers. And for one of the sessions, I asked them to come up with, um, you know, who they had envisioned, because I wanted to see how well I conveyed the characters visually for them. And it was so funny, because almost unanimously, everyone guessed the character that I would love to play Celeste in a movie, uh, Charlize Theron. Ah, I can see that. Yes. And and also I think a Margot Robbie would fit really well. Um to, you know, or even both of them with um with the different timelines. But both characters just have this beauty that they carry themselves with, but they can also um be so adaptable as actresses. They could play, you know, the traumatic and the more serious scenes and also play these lighthearted scenes where she's, you know busting balls with her guy friends that she is with all the time. So I, you know, I, I was always picturing Charlize Theron and her, you know, her cheekbones and her facial expressions mm. when I was going through writing. Cool. Uh, in terms of the other characters, um, I, every week I come up with someone new to be Theodore. Uh, <laughs> So I just started watching Lucifer on Netflix and um, this is like the sort of show that I just love because there's, you know, kind of the villain with Lucifer, but he's also this like very handsome, sexy, charming man that Chloe, the straight laced uh, detective is sort of falling for, yeah. uh, which is, which is, you know, my perfect romance. Um but I, I can't remember the actor's name, but the man who plays Lucifer, it's Tom something. Uh, he's who I picture as Theodore 
this week. Um, and then the other characters, I, you know, I don't have my heart set on any for them. Um, they it's fluid as well, but I do have sort of a visual of, you know, who they could be. Um, but Charlie's there on, and then this Lucifer character I think would be perfect on screen match. That's cool. It's Tom Ellis, by the way, I looked it Oh, up. yes. Yes. <laughs> I was going to say Tom Allen, and I knew that wasn't right. Um, yeah. I, I, and he has a British accent. He's He has like a lot of the characteristics of what I imagined with Theodore. So, um, and it also helps that he's like very charming and yeah. funny in the show. So, as I've mentioned, like your your book has this element of this it's a romantic suspense. And so I'm just kind of curious why you decided to do romantic suspense, not romantic comedy. Like where and, and how did you, and how do you weave the suspense into the romantic elements? So this was a challenge for me as the story unfolded, you know, I really viewed myself as a facilitator of Celeste's story. And so I was planning on writing a women's fiction, light, fun, like set in Wall Street with all the decadence and the great clothes and the great trips. Mm. Um, but, you know, in this this seminal romance relationship in the middle of it. But as I sat down, it kept turning to these, you know, darker things. And I, I really just view it as the story that was meant to be told. So okay. again, I had my own idea. I thought I was writing a yoga book. And, <laughs> and then, you know, the Celeste character was like, oh, you know, the muse was like, no, you're not. Um, so it, it really just revealed itself to me the longer I sat down and wrote every day and thought through the story. I couldn't tell her story without putting, um, you know, this history that she had had with Omar in the story and how that had made her uh, very reticent to have relationships with men. So that driving trauma is really what shapes her reactions to Theodore. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah, she's, I mean, she's a hell of a character. I mean, she's almost, she's almost alpha male in her, um, you know what I mean? Like, yes, yes. She, ha she has those alpha male qualities, which I think was, really intriguing to see in a romance book because you don't see that very often. That was something that was really important to me. Um, you know, I love the genre, so I, I don't have criticisms after I finish a book, but mm -hmm. I live in New York. I have a lot of single friends in New York who are very successful women. And I see that we had, we have these kind of interactions because we are more alpha females, um, we have these different kinds of interactions that aren't necessarily um, captured in yeah. the genre uh, between men and women. So when you, you know, if you are general counsel at a big company and you have this really amazing job and you're also a woman dating in New York City, you know, all of those things feed into your interactions with a man who is your equal professionally. And, you know, watching that play out has been very interesting. And I wanted to capture that modern woman and how she experiences romance, because it is different than, you know, a 20 year old um, character who's never had a relationship before. And for me, it was, uh, you know, really a strong commitment to this modern woman and the, the um, challenges she faces as she works to develop, you know, an intimate relationship with a man.
Yeah, I thought it was actually really um, well done and very believable when you're looking at a, a very high-powered uh, or a woman in a very high position, a very high-powered job, and a very in a very male-dominated industry. Like, what would she be like, and what would her, you know, and what would her intimate reactions or you know moments look like too? Because you don't just turn that off when you leave the office, right? Right. And you also don't turn it off when you meet a charming man. So she had to really navigate that and figure out, you know, and I hope that that struggle is well portrayed in the book, but she really had to figure out, you know, how, how am I becoming sort of the submissive, like person in this relationship that's domineered? This is usually what I do with men. I steamroll them and love them and leave them. And she had to adapt and figure out, you know, what to do when she was dating someone who was very similar to who she was. (laughs) 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 Um, I know you have mentioned, and I absolutely love that you did readings, book readings uh, at wine tastings, because that makes so much sense. It fits so well (laughs) with this book. (laughs) You know, the, the, the decadence and the over-the-top luxe lifestyle that, that is happening in this book, I thought was so well done. You can sort of smell it. You can smell that sort of like, I don't know, when, you go, when you're in New York City and you go to these parties and it's like uber-wealthy people and there's a scent in the air. I don't know. It's right. like, a, like, a, like a layer of very light, very expensive um, perfume, the type of perfume right. that doesn't make you sneeze, you know? Right, <laughs> right. You know, I mean, I thought that it, you captured that really, really well. Oh, thank you. I'm yeah. glad that came through. It's, you know, it's meant to be aspirational and also like realistic about, you know, people playing on this level in their careers and financially, they obviously have different lives than most of the people in the U.S. um, especially, but it was meant to be, you know, fun and to put yourself in the shoes of, you know, friends making fun of each other because one of them flew commercial instead of private, um, which obviously is not a normal person's, you know, sort of conversation with their friends. But, and I also wanted to convey, like, she, she loves luxury and, um, excess and decadence and she's very hedonistic. And so I wanted that to come through of what her experience, um, of, of living in the world was like and, and what impressed her and what was just sort of like, oh, we're eating at another, you know, three-star Michelin restaurant again, like whatever, it's just a Tuesday. Um, Versus when she and Theodore went to Hotel 27 in Amsterdam, which is a real hotel that I've been to. And it is so opulent. It is velvet drapes that are so rich in color and vibrant. And it just makes you feel this, um, this luxury and sophistication that I've never felt in another hotel. So I wanted to convey that she would appreciate all of that. She would, you know, she would touch the drapes and appreciate the fabric and appreciate the care that had gone into decorating um, a hotel at that caliber. So that's why I spent a bit of time on her reaction of it because it is such an impressive stunning um hotel and so you know i wanted to convey that even she can be impressed okay well okay i'm going to read because when you talk about like the decadence i think it comes through so much in the intimate scene that you sent over to me um like even leading up to 
their copulation, shall we say, <laughs> um, they, the, the layers of that lifestyle are, are sort of like being put down. And it's really, it's really fun to read. So can you set this up for us before I start? Where are they in the book? Where, where are we? What, what happened just before? So Celeste is on her first date with Theodore, and they have gone to a um, a beautiful restaurant that's very hard to get into. Everybody's clamoring to get into it in New York. Um, you said you lived in New York, so I'm sure you're familiar with how hard some of these new places are Ooh, yeah. to get into. And she is, you know, coming off of an evening with her glam squad and they're sort of making fun of her because they never hear her talk about going on a date. She doesn't date like, um, you know, like a normal person in New York City who's single. She sort of, you know, loves and leaves these men she meets casually and she doesn't really have time for anything else. So when she's having, you know, her hair done and her makeup done and Patrick and Ty are making fun of her saying, we think this is your first, first date. We've never heard you talk about, um, you know, a man in this way. And she is, you know, that's in the back of her mind throughout dinner. And she's like, I can't believe I put myself in this situation to go on a date. Who does this? This is not my thing. <laughs> um, but she can't deny the pull that she and Theodore have together. And she eventually, you know, sort of has to give into it. So they have this really sexually charged dinner um, and they're canoodling like old lovers at the end of it. Um, and then, you know, they get into the car with his driver and they're sort of like tearing at each other's clothes. Um, and she is, you know, she's sort of ready for whatever he has in mind. Um, and when they walk into the hotel, they just walk right past the you know, the bar scene that's really hopping and, you know, get into the hotel room. And that's really where, um, you know, where the magic happens. Right. Okay. So imagine Tom Ellis and Charlize Theron. (laughs) (laughs) My voice is not as sexy and British as his, but imagine. Okay. They ordered the omakase the chef's menu, and every course was more delightful than the last. Theodore was as sensual a foodie as she was, savoring the tastes and textures of their decadent meal like only a true hedonist can. He revealed he was a sophisticated cook, and they laughed as she shared what had happened the last time she attempted to use her oven. Full building evacuation, and no fewer than four fire trucks full of New York's finest, determined to save her from her cooking. By the end of the meal, the almost two bottles later, they were canoodling like old lovers, two bottles because you cannot possibly celebrate celebrate properly with only one bottle of champagne, Theodore had explained. Okay, this was total foreplay. This was total, <laughs> total, total foreplay. And it's I thought it sort of set up her backstory really, really well. You know, um, she can't cook. She's, you know, she drinks champagne and there, you know, she's clearly, you know, goes to very exclusive restaurants. And, you know, so I thought that this was sort of like a really great, like just a really great moment setting up for the later moment that's to come. Um, and, and it, get, and I was like, oh my God, this is total foreplay as a, as the author, you're sort of giving us this sort of very, 
very sensual experience um, before we even get to the sensual experience. Right. (laughs) And you can sort of picture them, you know, with her kind of uncomfortable at first, but after a few glasses of champagne, um, you know, his charm is really taking effect. So um, I'm glad that that comes through. Yeah, it totally does. So I'm going to jump over quickly for a second. She normally despised this coy cat and mouse game that women played with men, for there was no shame in sexuality. She was intolerant of the slut-shaming that went on in the media, and she bankrolled Planned Parenthood, National Women's Law Center, and other women's empowerment organizations. But here she was, acting like a virginal schoolgirl in Theodore's presence. Oh, fuck it. One look at his hard dick in his pants, and she dropped the act. Like, I loved that, too. So, I mean, I should probably <laughs> say, they were at the, the St. Regis. This was, like, sort of, you know, going to, uh, you know, sort of, or, or on his way to the St. Regis, or, um, yeah. And so she's, like, and she is just sort of, like, kind of, I guess this is sort of where you see her shift, Right, right. Like right. that shift from this sort of high powered, uh, you know, high charging uh, hedge fund person um, into sort of something that she never kind of believed that she was, but maybe was sort of hidden deep inside of her. And then she was like, wait, what the hell am I doing? And right. just was like, <laughs> I'm going to go for this because I'm bold. I'm bold. Right. I know what I want and I am bold and I am just going to, I'm going to do it. Right, right. You know, and um, and then they start tearing off each other's clothes, which I was like, yeah. All right, go for it, girl. You go. You go. You deserve this. (laughs) And then it is so clear he is such an experienced lover. Yes. Like that also was kind of like, as I was reading, I was like, well, yeah, this man knows what he's doing. These aren't, you know, two 20 year old kids kind of fumbling around on a bed. Like there is, um, there's a level of heat there, but again, it was like a sophistication that was going, that was threaded throughout that I think um, is, can be unusual to find uh, in, in romance novels. And I do think it works very well for um, a romantic suspense that's sort of set in this more decadent world. Absolutely. Did you end up falling in love with Theodore? A lot of readers have have, uh, sent me messages that they're in love with Theodore. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and I could see Tom Ellis doing this. I could totally see Tom Ellis playing this part. Absolutely. He'd be great. He'd be so great. He would be. Okay. So we're going to get to the really good bits now. All right. Okay. His fingers gently, then more forcefully, stimulated her G-spot. Within moments, her body began to tingle all over, and then she threw her head back as the orgasm washed over her. Theodore continued his licking and teasing, satisfied only when Celeste's body tensed again in orgasm. She ejaculated this time, wetting the comforter beneath her. Celeste had long since viewed men as prey, something to be conquered and discarded. This time, though, she was his, she was his prey. She had never felt more turned on or more vulnerable. He looked into her her eyes without blinking, a deep, intimate stare intensifying her unease. Has anyone ever died from anticipation of wanting someone to fuck them? Oh, my God. (laughs) Oh, my God. Okay. That last line is like, what? That is amazing. (laughs) I absolutely loved that. And... 
and it just really sort of drives home who she is as a character. It was like a really glorious moment of character development of telling us who she was, um, you know. And then I also was like, you know what? That the whole female ejaculation thing was super brave. Yeah, it's not something you see a lot of, and I, you know, in in romance novels anywhere. And I was like, wow, that is a really brave thing and unique thing to put into a book. Well, and I and I wanted to. I'm glad that you feel that way. Thank you. Um, and I wanted to be realistic and also aspirational because so many women are not satisfied in their sex lives, and I think it's important to for them to understand and their partners to understand that you know you can always improve. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I think this actually brings up a topic um, that we're probably going to veer way off course, but eh, who gives a shit, right? Um, (laughs) That that I think romance novels are really great for for women in terms of sexuality and exploring it in a safe space uh, for women to do. And that's kind of why I was like, oh my God, she put this in there. That is so awesome. Because, (laughs) you know, a lot of women don't have that experience. I mean, my God, I was raised Catholic. Do you think we ever talked about sex in my house? Right. Like, no, (laughs) you know, and I didn't actually start truly writing romance or at least, you know, openly until my mom died. Like, you know, it was like that awkward right Right. and so I do you know and I hate to say like everything I've ever learned about sex was from romance novels because we also know that can be very unhealthy but I do think that there is a bit of um I don't I guess like learning is not necessarily the the best word to use here but but I do think that there that they do play an important part in women understanding sex being open to sex and being open to enjoying sex Absolutely. And I think it also gives women sort of a way to talk to their partners about it. So, you know, if someone reads some of her encounters and they're like, oh, if he does this with his fingers, like maybe this would happen. And it, it gives a little more freedom to be less um, less nervous to talk to your partner about it. Um, and, you know, and I also, I sort of feel like this is something that as a genre, um, I need to get better about talking about relationships aren't always a man and a woman. Um, but, uh, you know, those, I think those conversations can be difficult for any couple to have, um, especially if one is more experienced or differently experienced than the other one. So hopefully this, uh, you know, this can give women some ability to talk about it more freely and openly with their partners yeah yeah I mean do you when you put that when you put that particular moment in there was it just something that came out of writing like you're just writing you're saying okay yeah this makes sense for her or were you like yeah you know what I think that it's important to have this moment in I thought it was really important to show how affected she was by Theodore so if she just had you know like a mild orgasm the first time they slept together he wouldn't carry this uh, this power that he has as a man navigating her world and it had to be something that she didn't have often um, for her to really stay committed and be willing to try you know sort of a relationship with this man Okay. Yeah, I can, I can see that. I can see how that would, would lead to it. Again, I I just thought that that was super 
like super brave and I was like wow that was really great that was really really great good and I I hadn't really thought about it that um I guess it doesn't come out a lot um that you know the female ejaculation piece of it in romance novels it's sort of like oh I had an orgasm and like move on (laughs) yeah no that's pretty much yeah that's pretty much what it is it's like you know yeah they have you have an orgasm but the female ejaculation does not show up very often and um you know so I was sort of surprised to see it I was like oh this is really interesting that she used this yeah that's kind of cool (laughs) um you know because it's like you know I always sort of um I like to use a lot of toys in my books like you know and and then but I I kind of like force myself to like pull back from that because you know it's I don't know if it takes readers out or I'm not sure I don't know why I'm always like oh maybe we should leave the toys at home but like the toys are definitely like a part of you know, of a lot of people's, uh, you know, intimate lives. And so I'm kind of, so I might revisit that where I always kind of end up censoring myself and saying, no, put the toys away. They need to do this uninhibited by plastic things. Like it's right. just the two of them, you know, and, but, but at the same time, like, you know, I don't want to say I feel a responsibility for, you know, women to go explore, but I kind of do feel a responsibility for women to go explore, you know, <laughs> Absolutely. And there is, I mean, look, as a writer, you don't have to solve all the world's problems in every book you write. But if this is your area and you are comfortable expressing it and you do have experience with it and you can convey it, uh, you should like do it. I'm sure a lot of women would appreciate the inspiration. Um, I'm not married, but my understanding is that you like to bring some new things in at certain times <laughs> to make it a little more interesting. So, you know, you're probably inspiring a lot of women to do that. Oh, I hope so. I hope so. Um, so I did, you know, you had mentioned the hotel in Amsterdam and, um, you know, as being an inspiration and and use and part of the book is set there and and celeste has that moment with the curtains and everything else and i know that you are a world traveler when i was on your website i was like holy shit she's been to so many places (laughs) and so i'm curious like how does your travel influence your writing I've been so fortunate to be so many incredible places and experience so many cultures around the world. And I really experienced books as a child, or I'm sorry, I experienced places as a child through books. So I feel like, you know, so many writers gave me the gift of knowing what um, Europe was like or knowing what a country in Africa was like. And I wanted to bring that richness and that beauty that I've had the good fortune to be surrounded with to my readers. Um, I think that travel has influenced my writing in two ways. Um, One, of course, when you're traveling and taken outside of your daily life, uh, it gives you the ability to slow down and immerse yourself more in the story. I actually find that even though I'm on vacation, I end up writing a lot more than I do in my daily life uh, because of that sort of space in my brain that's been opened up um, and not overcome with you know, so much work, et cetera. And so that's been, you know, really important. The other piece of it is that once I'm slowing down, I can really take the time to take in the culture, to take in what's going on um, in the world and put that into, you know, my characters and put my characters into those places. 
what would Celeste be experiencing on safari, for instance, which I've, you know, I've been to Kenya um, numerous times. It's, it's one of the places where my heart is. Um, love it. So beautiful. So much culture, so much biodiversity to experience and so many ways to give back to the world there. Um, but what would someone like Celeste, who's used to staying in five-star hotels, experience when she's in, you know, a safari Jeep and it's 110 degrees out. And, you know, as you think through like how a character would act um, in a certain situation, it's really fun to bring that into your writing instead of just having a book set in New York where they eat at a steakhouse every night and that's sort of their life. Um, So it's been really amazing to be able to slow down and take that time to nurture my imagination and put my characters in the places. And, you know, bringing that beauty of like the richness of a sunset in Santorini or a cool sea breeze or the frantic energy of a street market in Morocco, to put that on, you know, on the page, I think is really powerful to um, you know, to help me kind of tie in my life experience with what I'm writing. I'm guessing on one of your trips is how you hooked up with the village experience, which is um, you do a lot of philanthropic work for this organization. And 5% of this book sale, uh, proceeds from the book sales are going to this organization. Yes. Um, so it actually was not through my travels. Um, oh. The founders of the village experience, Kelly and Ann Campbell, uh, are childhood friends of mine. We grew up together and you mentioned Catholic school. We went to Catholic school together for 12 years. And the two of them started um, a, a for-profit travel company that's committed to socially responsible travel. And then there's a nonprofit arm um, that's committed to community development, women's empowerment, um, in three key countries, but we give back all over the world. So our okay. key programs are in Kenya, Guatemala, and India. I sit on the board of directors on the nonprofit, which we call the Village Cooperative. And it's been such an adventure, one of the greatest adventures of my life to be involved with this organization and really be able to raise money for things that matter. So Mm -hmm. this past year, um, I went to Kenya a few times. I raised a lot of money to, you know, build a final classroom for a school, um, to sponsor mobile medical clinics. Um, We had an initiative where we purchased hundreds of reusable sanitary napkins for women and girls so that they could- fantastic. Yeah, Yeah. so they could go to work and school. If you don't have, you know, a Dwayne Reed where you can go get tampons, which they wouldn't be able to use culturally anyway, um, you know, it's very difficult for an 11 or 12-year-old girl to be able to go to school when she's on her period, and she'll just end up skipping because they don't have, you know, a whole bunch of extra toilet paper or- um, or paths that they can use. So things like that are so important and need so, you know, so much funding and backing from people who are passionate about it. And it's, it's really been so impactful in my life to be able to give back, um, to those programs. And again, creating that space in my life, to be able to do this has been such a wonderful adventure. And I've met so many people across the world who are also writers or who are avid readers. And they've been so supportive of my journey with Trading Secrets. And, you know, a lot of them have read it and given reviews. And um, I wasn't sure how it would be received because it is so racy by a lot of, you know, 
my more <laughs> serious friends, you could say, um, you know, my friends who are really living in developing countries and spending all of their time in developing countries, you know, what would they think of the decadence and, and excess and sort of grotesque spending on some levels by these characters, but everyone really fell in love with Celeste and it, they were able to relate to her on a way that on a level that I hadn't expected um, to be universal. So that's been amazing to see how these people that I meet on these adventures really fit into my life as a writer. Um, I don't think I would have been able to do it without some of the friendships I've formed through the village experience and my work with, uh, with the communities that we work in. That's, I mean, it's an amazing organization. I love that it is empowering these women and girls in, in these countries where, you know, the, it is difficult to be, you know, to be female, you know, to be a, a woman, to be a girl. You know, there are a lot of, there, you know, from not having sanitary napkins to, you know, other other issues. And I think, you know, it's it's important that we continue to try and support them. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and I love that you're doing it through a romance book. <laughs> makes total sense. <laughs> yes. Um, yeah, I, I'm giving 5% of the proceeds to our programs. And it's so fun to be able to tie it to that. Um, you know, I wouldn't necessarily want any of our partners to read the book uh, in some <laughs> of the communities that we work in. Um, but on the other hand, like I really wanted to bring those two parts of myself together. Um, yeah. You know, this work that I do in my free time and my passion project um, to marry the two has made it so much more meaningful to do both of them. So, okay. So trading secrets is a trilogy. Yeah. So the first one is out. When is the second one coming? I had initially proposed that the second one would be um, out in December of this year very okay. aggressive timeline because this um, first book just came out in May and uh, I'll be on track to have it finished by then. But, you know, I would be remiss if I, if I didn't say that what's going on in the world is, um, is very important and very disruptive. And I wanted to, you know, be available for what's going on in the world, like with the elections and what's going to happen with the aftermath of that and what's going to happen with COVID. And I felt like a book launch at that time would be really distracting for me and for, you know, my community of readers. We all okay. should, you know, be able to take some time to be present. So I've decided to push the release back um, to April. And I, I'll have a firm date on that soon. Um, for those who are interested, if you want to stay up to, to speed on these things, uh, you can sign up for my newsletter on my website, or I have, um, you know, status updates on Instagram fairly regularly. So I did decide to pivot. This is kind of a recent decision. Um, but, you know, as I mentioned, like, we are all in this world, we are in the craziest time period in my life. And, you know, to go back to my grandma, Ellie, she is 95 years old. And she said, this is the craziest time she's ever lived through. So, wow. you know, I really wanted to be present and not be distracted with um, a book launch. So I've, uh, you know, committed to releasing the second and third books. I want to tell Celeste's complete story. And I think I'll probably write a book from Theodore's perspective after the trilogy comes out. Um, 
which will, I think, be really, really fun. Cool. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, I just finished reading Stephanie Meyer's Midnight Rising, which is Edward's version of right. Twilight, and loved it. I love the the dichotomy and the, the different ways that men and women react to um, to a relationship and to interaction. So, you know, I, I will be releasing all of the books, um, but I did want to give some space for what's going on in the world. Okay. I don't blame you. I completely get that. So, uh, but there will be more Celeste. So, which is great news. Um, even if we have to wait a little bit. So where can readers find you? I am pretty active on Instagram. Uh, I do have Twitter and Facebook, so you can find me on Instagram and Twitter at Rachel Eccles. Uh, my name is spelled a bit uniquely. It's R A C H A E L. E-C-K-L-E-S. So I'm at Rachel Eccles. You can also find um, Trading Secrets at Trading Secrets Trilogy on Instagram and Twitter. And then there are Facebook pages for each under Rachel Eccles Author and Trading Secrets Trilogy that you can sign up for. And then, as I mentioned, you can sign up uh, for my newsletter on racheleccles.com. Excellent. Rachel, thank you so much for doing this. It was great having you. Thank you. This was so much fun. And I can't wait to read some of your work as well. Thank you. It's it's not as decadent and, and, and wild as yours, but it's rock and roll. So yeah. I'm <laughs> we sure have our own decadence in that. Right. We have our own right. sort of dec- decadence. Right. 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 <laughs> Thank you, Rachel. Thank you. Bye. Have a great week. I hope you enjoyed the episode. Sign up to get email alerts when a new one goes live at lgreco.rocks. And don't forget to five-star us on Apple or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Thanks for listening. See you next time.